Hello, and welcome back into the My Wheelhouse Basketball Podcast on the We Got Balls Podcast Network. I am your host, Seamus McNamara. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, February 13th. I am joined, as usual, by my co-host and dear friend, Steve Trudeau. Steve, what's going on? I'm good, man. A little early today. We're trying to get this done early to get, uh, you know, free up the Super Bowl. But I do have a question for you, fellas, before we start. So when you go to the game day spread, what is your go-to option? Because tonight for Super Bowl, we got guacamole, chips, and I'm going to smoke some wings. So, like, what do you guys like for your game day snacking? I feel like the wing is the king of game day. <laughs> I like wing and king. Yeah, I agree with that. That uh, that answer was brought to you by our other dear friend and best guest always joining us, Al Biddy's Natola. Biddy's, are you excited? Who do you who do you got tonight? Bengals? I want the Bengals to win. What do you what do you think? Can they do it? I feel like everybody wants the Bengals to win, which makes me think that the Rams are gonna are gonna get it, and Aaron Donald is gonna eat some sack launches. I agree with that. I hope not, but it should be a good game. Obviously, we're starting early. Uh, this week was out of control, as everyone knows. We had the trade deadline, uh, one of the more active trade deadlines uh, in recent memory. Uh, that is going to be the entire show content today is going to be just breaking down what we thought who was the winners losers uh, we're going to go through the deals that kind of ruffled feathers the most and see what we liked but a few things happened that weren't trades so since we talked last let's jump into it let's check out what happened around the league this week it's time for my wheelhouse rapid recap the dominant suns squish a finals rematch against the Bucks. Luca scores a career high 51 on his feared opponent, the Los Angeles Clippers. The Raptors' win streaks is extended. The Nets' lost streak is extended. Sabonis, we'll talk about him later. First game looks awesome in a win uh, for the Sacramento Kings. The NBA, for the 75th anniversary, names their top 15 coaches ever. Doc Rivers? Uh, the Knicks and Lakers surprisingly don't make any moves. Ted Line, surprise, sees no Jeremy Grant, no Miles Turner, and no Eric Gordon move. LeBron and Kevin Durant hilariously draft their all-star teams on Thursday night. And speaking of LeBron, he passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar last night for most points all time, combining postseason and regular season. And that's really all I got. Obviously, we had the crazy trade deadline bonanza. Everyone was in the deal zone, which is going to be one of the best terms to be in the lexicon for NBA moving forward. Uh, what, what stood off the page before we, we jump into just breaking down some deals for you from this last week? All um, right. So, oh, I'm sorry, but he's go ahead. No, Steve, you, you felt good. You felt good. No, I had no, two things. Um, first, the big three of the Brooklyn Nets. For all the hubbub, hubbub they got, whatever, whatever word you want to use, I don't know. Hubla they got. That's what I was looking for. 16 games. 16 games those three played together Harden, Kyrie, and KD so they traded away three first round picks, three pick swaps, and they got 16 games, that's bananas, and one last thing I had something interesting before we get going and before we get in biddies, I want to take this moment because we're getting like pretty much the halfway maybe past the halfway point of the season I want to look at strength of schedule remaining for the, the to contending teams check this out, Lakers sitting ninth place Hardest schedule remaining. Strength to schedule, 0.541 winning percentage. So they are screwed. Uh, followed by the hardest schedules, Bucks, which I think they'll be okay. And then we think the Bulls are fraudulent. Third hardest schedule remaining, so we should expect their slide. On the flip side, the upstart Grizzlies have played a lot of hard games to begin the season. Third, actually, no, the easiest strength to schedule. No, I'm sorry. 
the, the third. I, I can't read today. Listen, it's 10 in the morning. Give me a break. Uh, third easiest strength to schedule. Uh, other ones are the Suns have the easiest strength to schedule at 0.479. And Toronto Raptors sitting at six have a top 10 favorable schedule going forward. So I expect those teams to be on up and up second half or last part of the season, that is. What stood out, Biddies? Um, yeah, Steve's was so much more thoughtful than mine. But on <laughs> Wednesday night, down five points as time expired, LeBron James hit a three-pointer to bring the game within two, but the game was over. And it brought him to 30 points, which tragically means that despite averaging 27, 7-7 seven seven over 1,300 games, LeBron James has never put up a exact 27, 7, and 7 stat line. And it's now, the craziest thing of all time. And now it's all I can think about. Wow. I've thought about that for a while. I heard that stat like six years ago, and I was like, there's no way. And it just keeps going. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> we had it, and it, it slipped through our fingers. All right, so let's jump into these trades. We had 15 or so trades, as long as you don't care about the ones that are irrelevant. I want to go trade by trade. Uh, do you want me to go by the day? We can rattle off. We had one trade on Tuesday, a handful on Wednesday, and obviously a crap load on the actual deadline day itself. But since we talked last week, because we had a few trades that we talked about, Norman Powell, a couple of other deals, the first trade that happened on Tuesday was between the Pacers, who were extremely active in this deadline, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, we saw them swap. Ricky Rubio and a first-round pick, a couple seconds. One of the second-round picks is actually extremely valuable, coming from Houston in exchange for Karis LeVert. I feel like we talked about that last week, even though my I don't know why this popped up there. But then after that, the Pacers made the probably second-biggest wave of the deadline after the Harden and Simmons deal, uh, acquiring DeMontis Sabonis. No, nope, sending out DeMontis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, and Jeremy Lamb twice, if you listen to – Adrian Wojnarowski in a 2023 second in exchange for a player that not many teams realized was available from Sacramento Kings. They got back young budding star Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and the nightmare drama show that is Tristan Thompson. Um, obviously, as I said, the Pacers were active. Otherwise, they did a few other moves on the fringes on Thursday. They got Jalen Smith in the, in the door. Um, I think it was pretty commonly accepted that the Pacers robbed the the Kings and the, the Kings were full Kangs and everyone was freaking out. And if you looked on Kings Reddit page, everyone <laughs> wanted the world to explode. Um, I, I don't know if you guys think similarly to, to this mindset. That was the initial shock reaction. But but I'm I, I went through every single trade and I used a red highlighter and a yellow highlighter and just did like winner, loser, winner, winner, loser, loser. I, I highlighted both the teams in in yellow. I think they both I think they both made out well. I mean, Sabonis is a better player than Halliburton right now. They clearly needed to do something because it, it's a nightmare over in Sacramento. I understand that they uh, have the imperative drive to be going for the playoffs for whatever reason, and it's clear that because of De'Aaron Fox' faltering play and because of the lack of comparative value that the other players on the roster have, moving Halliburton. Like I understand where they came from. I wouldn't have done it because I do think if you're just saying like who got better out in the trade, the, the Kings was, got rid of more value than they got back. Like Halliburton alone probably has more trade value than DeMontis Sabonis, and they added to it. But 
I, un I understand where they're coming from. Um, what do you, what do you think, Steve? Is it a nightmare? Is it full Kangs? Is it embarrassing? I mean, it looked great in the first game. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, obviously Halliburton looked awesome in the Pacers. He's only played one game too. What's your, what's your overall thoughts on this first blockbuster of the deal? I think Zone. one thing to consider is there are many viewpoints to a trade and sometimes the GM is not operating in the best interest of the franchise as a whole because it's all a business and people, their livelihoods are on the line, their jobs are on the line. And Vladi Divac, I believe he's a GM still, right? With the Kings? Yeah. No, it's Monty McNair. They was all right. So McNair. You know, you see these GMs often. They're they're in a situation where they have losing season after losing season and they're on the hot seat. And I know you said why would they be pushing for the playoffs now? The Kings made a move to win now. Maybe the GM and their his staff feels pressure where if we don't make the play in this year, we're all done. So I'm pushing my chips in. And I think that's also the case you see with the Pelicans a little bit where Griffin is another guy who they've been underachieving and they, they try to push some chips into the table and, and make a push so they can keep their jobs. As a whole, though, I don't hate the trade as much as Kings Reddit did. I understand everyone likes Halliburton. Everyone loves that guy. He's under a rookie contract for the next, what, two years after this, right? So you have him for cheap. Buddy Heald, you know, he's been kind of a disappointment. Although I looked at his contract, I thought it was worse than it is. It's not as bad as you would think. It's $20 million a year. Um, so, I, I mean, I think the Pacers, ultimately, they made a better play for the franchise moving forward. I do like Sabonis on the Kings, and he clearly has gelled well in the first game, the first showing with, their, with his new team. So... We'll see. Are, are the Kings a better team today than they were a week ago? Yeah. Will they be better off in the next four years for the move? Maybe not. But this move may have saved some people their jobs, and that might be why it happened. I don't know. That's just my thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm the most negative on it. Sabonis, sure, is, is a better player, but to go all in to make the play-in and match up against like the Timberwolves or the Clippers it is just a bad strategy for your franchise. And to trade a young star like Tyrese Halliburton does have to go through ownership, and we know that ownership has been insane ever since uh, Vivek bought the team. So I thought it was a bad move for the Kings, even though I do like Demontis Sabonis as a player um i thought it was a really good move for the pacers because they set themselves up better for the long term and in the short term things were going bad already so even even though they saw less talent right now come in the door than they sent out between both the the lavert and sabonis trades it's not unfathomable that they just have a better fit that actually could win more games right now because they just weren't a very good team. So I think the Pacers should be very excited about bringing in a good young player like Halliburton and for the Kings to go all in to maybe be in the play-in game for the next three years and be in that race. Like it's just, you've, you've been building and building for two decades and to, Take a huge, take a huge bet where the reward is a ten seed is just not good management. Right. I mean, you're right, but where are they going? I mean, are they going to tear it down again? I mean, like I understand where they're coming from. It's kind of just like we we need to push in 
how do we maximize some of the pieces? And again, like I'm, I'm with you. I would never have traded Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis. I think as early as like game one of next year, Halliburton could be better than DeMontis Sabonis. But I'm, I'm just saying to try and get into the brain of the people that made this decision, they drafted Halliburton who fell into their lap at the 11th pick. Like he was supposed to go fifth overall, the, six overall. In the that best draft. thing to happen to the franchise since right. when? Right. Okay. So, <laughs> so he fell into their lap. And it was kind of like immediately there was not like issues, but there was clear uh, a lot of duplicative things going on. And they doubled down on it by picking uh, (laughs) Davion Mitchell, the following draft. So now they have their three cornerstone pieces are all guard oriented. And they talked about they were going to be excited about playing three guard lineups. They didn't play a lot of three guard lineups. And when they did, it didn't look very good. So they're trying to think about how to maximize as many players on the roster as they can, the how to kind of like cattle prod that awesome 25-point-per-game season we saw of De'Aaron Fox and how to maximize the potential of an already older prospect in Davion Mitchell. I mean, I understand it's a small sample size. We've only seen one game with Sabonis. But if you look back earlier in the season in the games that they, that specifically Davion Mitchell played without Halliburton or without Fox, those are the games where he looked best. So if I'm thinking from the Kings perspective, it's okay. uh, My team is stagnant. It looks terrible. My best players and my best assets are underperforming. How can I jolt these guys uh, into the best case scenario for their development? Um, I talked about how someone like Sabonis could help, one uh, a guy like Cade and the Detroit Pistons develop. I, I think he could have a similar impact on this team. I I don't think they're ever going to be a championship contender, but it, like it's not unless they're going to tear down everything and tank as low as they can. And there's already so much competition on top of that tankathon ladder to get in that top four or five spots. We're seeing the the other team in this trade, the Pacers. They would love to breach into that top three or four, but I don't know if they're going to be able to, even though they're trying to. So the best case scenario for them right now, I I, I kind of do think it's be competitive, get playoff experience, hope you get the best case scenario out of De'Aaron Fox right now, because I think De'Aaron Fox is the most important player for this franchise. And then depending on how Sabonis meshes over these handful of months, maybe he continues playing with the Kings over next year. But he, he could be an asset that they trade again and then they move on from. I think it's a little weird how it seems like Rashawn Holmes has completely fallen out of favor with Alvin Gentry. Uh, I don't know whether he's going to get minutes alongside Sabonis. That, in theory, could work. Um, I, I do want <laughs> to say that – yeah, I do want to say that the, the Minnesota Timberwolves are probably like one of the best-case best scenario teams that Sabonis could have been playing for in his first games with the Kings – but, but the ball was popping. The ball was moving. Their offense had so much fl- more flow. The, the pace that the team played with, a, a big headline of the negative side of the trade was that Fox and Sabonis don't really fit together. And I think that was purely because they were thinking Fox can't spread the floor. And when Sabonis is operating from the elbow or the high post, it's good to have some spacers uh, in, in your backcourt. But, but Fox is so fast. like He's one of the three fastest players in the league. He was really playing off of Sabonis well at, at the nail, at the foul line extended, cutting into the hoop, 
and he didn't do a lot of cutting formerly for the Kings because there was no other ball movers on the team, uh, even though that's kind of what Halliburton's calling card is. So it's interesting. I think just the change was was good. But again, the Pacers are, are the obvious, like of the entire trade deadline, I have a few winners. I think the Pacers overall, tearing down the pieces they have, getting back draft capital, getting back a, a clear – I don't think – I think Halliburton's like a two-time All-Star. Like, I, that's, that's kind of the player I – th- I think he's like super, super high floor. Like, I am confident that he's going to be a top 38 player in the NBA for like a long time. I'm also confident that he's never going to be a top 20 player. You know what I mean? So I, I think having that that type of player is extremely important. And hopefully they can get lucky because, as I said, I don't know if they're going to be able to leapfrog teams like Detroit, Houston, Orlando that are already like locked in as the worst teams in the league. So they need to get lucky in the lottery. Um, if they don't get lucky and even they end up with Jaden Ivey, that, that's a good fit to, to go along with those guys. Maybe maybe A.J. Griffin is a new guy that they target there in the draft. So I think that they're, both teams' like vision makes sense to me, even though the Pacers are the clear winner overall, if, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I thought one interesting thing about this deadline as a whole is like no one really tore it down to bare bones. Like I right. guess you can make a case for maybe the Blazers kind of, but not really. No no one completely ripped everything apart. And then with the Pacers, we thought they would, you know, just ship everybody out. But I, I look at their roster now and I kind of like what they did because they got rid of some fat and they actually have like a really nice foundation, at least defensively. Because if you think of like Miles Turner as a really nice defensive presence in the paint, and then for their guard spots, they're going to have Halliburton paired with Brogdon going forward. And those two are going to be nightmares for opposing teams' guards, both really big, um, lanky guards that can that can defend really well. So I like what they did. They they trimmed fat. They got some assets back that they got a little younger. And they're set for not like a full rebuild to tear it down, but like maybe in a couple of years, they're a pesky team that can sneak into the playoff as like a 7-8 seed or whatever. And, you know, they're not that far off with the moves they made. They still kept a, kept some assets. Yeah, they were they were the team. You're right. It was like Pacers and Blazers are the closest to a complete blow up of, of the deadline. And it was smart. Those are the teams that were supposed to do that. You know what I mean? The other team that was supposed to do that was the Kings. And instead, they just consolidated an upgrade, which is fine. I'm surprised that Buddy Heel didn't get rerouted because now he's kind of just a bench shooter for them, which is which is fine. But getting Halliburton, Buddy, uh, the flyer on Jalen Smith. I love that. Uh, Rubio will likely will be out of there, but I mean, they got four draft picks, including a first rounder this year. I mean, and they just, it's funny because if you listen to, uh, Caitlin Cooper, who's one of the best analysts for, uh, the Indiana Pacers that they have beat reporter and, uh, Mark Schindler, who I've talked about before also does stuff for Indiana. Both of them said that they were leaning much closer to doing a miles Turner package uh, similar to one that we talked about last week where they would likely be talking to like Charlotte and they would be getting like young players and like a second round draft pick or maybe a first if they got lucky. And it, they just got a ring on their phone and it was Monty McNair. And he said, do you want Tyrese Halliburton? And they were like, uh, yeah, yeah, yes, we want, we want Tyrese Halliburton. And it was kind of just more so like they weren't trying to trade Sabonis over Turner. It was just that Sabonis was the price to acquire Tyrese Halliburton, an obvious decision for them to make. So I, I just think that the Pacers moves, I think they made the right choices. They set themselves up for the best success moving forward. Unlike the Kings, who are clearly going to be stuck in this morass for a long time, I think this type of directional choice where they're going to dip in the short term, hopefully reinfuse some younger talent, they're going to be more likely to be able to jumpstart out of it uh, in 
a handful of years down the line. Uh, you got a closing thought on this before we jump into one of the other 20 trades that happened? No, I'll be, I'll be bringing up risk-reward throughout, and I just feel like the risk-reward is off for the Kings. And just yeah, one, one little cherry on top, sorry, is the Buddy yeah. Heald contract, it actually is a front-loaded contract, so it becomes a little more manageable as time goes on, so it's not as bad of a... I love, I love front-loaded contracts. I think those are some of the most un- interesting things in the NBA. All right. Uh, Wednesday saw two other trades. The other big one was between the Pelicans and the Blazers. The Pelicans acquired CJ McCollum, finally breaking up the McCollum and Lillard backcourt. Larry Nance and Tony Snell. The Blazers acquired in return Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Thomas Sadoransky, Didi Luzada, a first-round pick that they'll get if it lands between 5 and 14 this year, which it probably will. And then second-round pick swaps, which is funny, in 2026 and 2027. The Blazers later rerouted in the same day in a different trade, the three-team deal. They later rerouted Nikhil Alexander-Walker um, and maybe a second-round pick and got back Joe Ingles uh, from a salary dump from the Jazz and Elijah Hughes, who I know nothing about. So essentially they got a, a second-round pick, Ingles, Hart, and a first-round pick for McCollum and Nance. Um, I, I think that this type of swing was predictable from the Pelicans – attempting to get another shooter. We heard that they were targeting CJ, Eric Gordon, those type of guys at the deadline to try and pair with Ingram and Zion. I think that he fits well. Um, and I and I don't think the price was that outrageous. If, if you think of Josh Hart kind of being a first-round pick value, just kind of getting two first-round picks for, for CJ McCollum, I think that, that, that checks out to me. I had both teams highlighted in yellow as, yeah, why not do it? Um, do you do you see one side winning over the other biddies or or are you just kind of like riding it like I am? Yeah, I think the Pelicans can be more excited because they got the best player back and the Blazers having maybe not as excited of a feeling is just reflective of the fact that they were in a tough situation to begin with. But I like it for New Orleans because um yeah, you gotta you gotta make Zion happy. You gotta convince him that this is a winning situation. Until they are winners, they are not going to attract anybody as a free agent or as a, I'm going to force my way to New Orleans. So just establishing it, I've brought it up in the past on this podcast, but like Richard Lewis going to uh, Orlando is something that kickstarted that team, even though it wasn't the most team-friendly deal. Um, and maybe just adding McCollum can really make the Pelicans a run and gun. We're going to score 140 points on you every night type of team so i like it for new orleans portland i mean i would have hoped to get a little bit more back for mccollum and then nikhil alexander walker seemed like a bit of a flyer that was going to be the upside of that trade and they ended up rerouting him as you said for joe ingles which i think like joe ingles um josh hart and a first round pick like i'm dame and looking at that then I'm not not too thrilled with how my team's looking when I uh, return to the floor. Yeah, it, it's for me, it's perplexing because I don't know what the Blazers are signaling with this move. Obviously, McCollum and Dame, it, they've tried it several, several years now. It's just not enough. And it almost feels like, I mean, what do they have left for good players outside of Dame Lillard? It almost signals to me that Dame might be on the move in the offseason or at least in the maybe by next trade deadline because it does their roster right now doesn't make sense they're much worse than they were last year and the year before when they weren't good enough so 
what what is your direction if you're the Blazers? You know what I mean? Like you don't have a direction. You look like you're tanking, but you still have one of the best players in the league. So it's really interesting to me. The Pelicans on that side, again, I think Griff is feeling the hot seat a little bit because they've been underachieving for a couple of years now. I I think personally, I'm not as high on McCollum as a lot of people are. I think he's a fine player. I don't think he's a franchise changer. He's he's a nice little player, a volume shooter. His contract's pretty tough. He has two more years at $34 million, And for a player of his caliber, it's a, it's a bit much, yeah. Um, but on the upside, I do like his fit alongside of Zion and Ingram. So as far as like their roster, it's better. It's a good fit. And maybe the next year when Zion's back, if he's healthy, it's a more exciting team with those three. Maybe they can make some some you know splash in the Western Conference. But now they're going to have a ton of money tied up in those top three players. And... Two of them really aren't going to be worth. Well, Zion's still a rookie deal, that is. But um, between McCollum and Bi, it's like you're paying probably what, like upwards of seventy million for two good players. Not great. So we'll see how it works out in the future. Um, good on Griff. He probably bought bought himself another year in uh, at the helm for that move. So he got do we got to do to survive, I guess. Yeah, I feel like the more I think about this, the more I actually like it for the Blazers. Um, I do think that Nance is a interesting inclusion um the, the theory of him is is probably more exciting than how he's actually played the last two years but thinking about him in concert next to ingram and in zion is really really exciting but I, I think that cj it's tough because cj's it's a nightmare he would be really nice if they still had lonzo ball but they don't have lonzo ball because i don't know what they did with that situation but cj with like Devonte graham or with the fun guy who said yes i can shoot to d'angelo russell when d'angelo Russell didn't know who he was i forget that guy alvarado yeah the guy who mb paid is fine because they both got a technical like that that's a bad fit so it's when i'm thinking about this team it's almost like i need to think of like zion as the point guard which, which we saw for a stretch and looked awesome in Zion's second year. And, and then they need to, they need like Nance to show up as a defender. They need Ingram to, to really commit defensively. And then they need another guy. That's not Jonas Valanciunas, but for the Blazers, this, I, I feel like the only thing that could have been better for this deadline was if they were able to package like Nurkic and, Nazir Little or a draft pick or something like that and get like Jeremy Grant. Um, I, I think that the the target they have in mind of getting the best case draft selection this year that they can, um, bringing in more draft capital and getting off of money, I think that all makes a lot of sense to me. They're going to have a lot of capital to sign a free agent in this coming offseason to pair with Dame. Um, they still, funnily enough, have an interim GM, which is a bad thing to have when you're going through big, big, big franchise moves. But I think maybe he didn't want to rock the boat too much because he is an interim guy. But but getting flexibility, he did say that we're going to be hunting for free agents. We think we can be competitive. The market that is Portland disagrees. CJ uh, and Dame didn't have a lot of luck luring free agents to come and join them in the past. But, but maybe capital that's monetary and capital that's draft-oriented and the knowledge that it's just Dame and you, maybe that could bring someone interesting. So I like it overall. I like, I like Josh Hart. The, 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 funnily enough, the, the more goofy part of it is I don't understand why they dumped Nah. Like basically, Nikhil Alexander was like a salary dump for them to get 
Joe Ingles, who they're probably not going to sign back. I didn't, why not just keep him on board? Like he, he could be good. Like I understand he was largely bad, but he's young as heck and he, he could be good. That, that was really weird for me. So good on the jazz for getting him, even though that the jazz probably should have done something else on this <laughs> deadline too. But um, Steve closing thought on Wednesday of the trade deadline. And then, and then we'll get into the meat of, of the deal zone. Sorry. You just, I just want to get back to the Pelicans really quick. Cause you got me thinking now, and I actually kind of like the move a little bit more now that I'm thinking about it. Cause I, I think if they can get rid of Valanchunas and get like a stretch big, like a, like a Bobby Porter or a Brooke Lopez. So you can have just Zion operating in the paint by himself and just have shooters around him. I mean, they already have a couple of good shooters, so maybe that's what they're doing. I think that could be kind of interesting. I like that. I mean, both of those teams would accept Valanchunas for the players you brought up. But yeah. Um, all right, let's jump. Let's jump to Thursday. Uh, where to start? Where to start? Um, I'll just rattle off deals that we're not going to talk about, and then we can get to a deal that we will talk about. Uh, your team, the Orlando Magic, and my, our team, the Boston Celtics. Uh, participated in a nice salary dump. Bull Bull, PJ Dozier, who we just got from the Nuggets, some cash and a second round pick for another second round pick from from the Celtics. Very very fun. Are you excited about the Isaac Bamba, I, Bull Bull, Wendell Carter, and Jalen Suggs lineup? My favorite with 60 tweet foot of arms. My favorite tweet tweet of that day of Thursday it was not a Woj tweet, but it was from the Orlando Magic official Twitter page, where it was like, "We'd like to welcome cash considerations to the Orlando Magic." And just a bag of money. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. All right. Um, the Toronto Raptors got lucky and landed Thaddeus Young, but it was a part of their Drogic dump. So the Spurs won out as well, grabbing a first-round pick for Thaddeus Young, uh, Devin Eubanks, and a 2022 second-round pick. Drogic is negotiating a buyout. I think he either already got bought out today, or he probably will by the end of the day. It's going to be interesting to see where he lands. We can talk about him more when he lands with his team. I don't think Thaddeus Young is going to get bought out. I think the Raptors like him, which bums me out because I want him on the Celtics. Um, the Suns got Aaron Holiday for cash, which I thought was an awesome acquisition because campaign has been hurt. Uh, I already talked about the Pacers getting Jalen Smith. The other side of that deal was them sending Torrey Craig to the Suns. So the Suns did some nice moves on the fringes, nothing too crazy. Uh, the Hornets got Montrez Harrell for the measly price of Vernon Carey, a second round of pick and Ish Smith. Uh, Lamella will probably help Montrezl get paid. He's one of my winners of the deadline. I don't think that needs to get talked about. Let's just get all the junk out of the way. Uh, the Tice got the, the Celtics got back Daniel Tice, clearly uh, uh, a fawning player from uh, Brad Stevens for the awesome, awesome dump of Dennis Schroeder, Bruno, Bruno Fernando, and Ennis Cantor. Um, I think most of the other deals I, I actually want to spend some time on. So do you have any overall thoughts about the trash deals that don't matter. I feel like that's disrespectful to the trash deals, but <laughs> I, I kind of like of low key out all those. I like the Raptors move to get Thaddeus Young. Like we talked last episode about how their big Achilles heel was. They, they don't have a lot of depth that they can trust on. They go like seven deep, maybe eight deep at most. And Thad Young is like you, you said it before, like your comp for Scotty Barnes coming out. It's Thad Young. So like they have another one of those guys that they can throw in uh, guard multiple positions, do a lot of like different things, be like a gadget guy. I like it for them because they needed a little bit of depth just in case they suffer an injury to Pascal or Scotty Barnes or whoever. So I like that move. Yeah, on the Raptors episode, I was just talking about turning Goran Dragic into something rather than buying him out. And Fad Young is something. Um, welcome home, Daniel Tice. Welcome home, Daniel Tice. Love it. One of my favorite trades of the deadline. Um, 
All right, one more small trade, and then all we have left is big ones. It's it's uh, small in terms of players exchanged, but it's the biggest trade of the deadline. It was a four-team trade between the Bucks, Clippers, Kings, and Pistons. The Bucks landed Serge Ibaka and two second-round picks. The Clippers landed Rodney Hood, Semi Ojale, and a guy named Vanja that I've never heard <laughs> of. Uh, the Kings got Dante DiVincenzo, Josh Jackson, Trey Lyles, a guy named Michino that I've never heard of in a second-round pick, and the Detroit Pistons got Marvin Bagley. Mm-hmm. I think this trade is actually really, really interesting. I think the Bucs did well to get Serge Ibaka. Uh, I think, in theory, he's a really, really good fit. He's only had a few games where he's looked good. If you listen to a Bill Simmons podcast in the past two weeks, Bill Simmons thinks he's the next coming of uh, Defensive Player of the Year because he watched one game where he looked good. But if you watch any of the other games for Serge Ibaka in the past two weeks, he looks terrible. But I I think it was a good strategy overall. Clearly, Dante DiVincenzo's value has plummeted. But I think that that was a good acquisition for the Sacramento Kings – who knew they were going to be getting rid of Bagley no matter what. So to land Josh Jackson, DiVincenzo, and a second-round pick, players that are all really, really good cutters, good off-ball movers, and good defenders, those guys are actually fit really well with Sabonis. So I, I like that for the Kings. For the Pistons, I absolutely adore the Flyer for just two second-round picks. Picks that, I, I mean, I understand they'll probably be um, – one was theirs and one wasn't. They'll probably be in the 35 to 40 range, so those are valuable second-round picks. But Bagley is a really, really valuable player as a flyer to try and rehab, a second draft guy that they can bring back in for cheap that fits really, really, really well with Cade. He's a lob threat that Cade really desperately needs. He can rebound, he can score, and he can jump. Those are things that the Pistons actually don't have a lot of. Um, he's not very good, but maybe this is where um, the dirt is brushed off of his gemstone. And then the fourth portion of the deal, I mean, who could care less about the Clippers side? So quick uh, thoughts on this deal. Who do you think came out best? And what interests you most, Steve, about the four-teamer? Uh, yeah, I don't know what the Clippers really got out of it. Rodney Hood, Semi, eh, whatever. Um, the the teams that I liked the most out of those were the Bucks and the Pistons. Because the Bucks, you know, they, they do need some help at center. I don't know if Splash Mountain's coming back this year. They've been riding Bobby Portis the whole year. And Serge Ibaka's kind of like the same same build as Bobby Portis. So if something happens to Portis or he needs a, needs a sub in the playoffs, they have a comparable bull guy to come in. I think Pistons are probably the biggest winner out of, out of this trade, just because why not? I mean, Bagley was, what, like a second overall pick three years ago, two years ago, three years ago? Yeah. So why not? Two second-round picks, you're probably not going to get a ton from that. Take a flyer, and maybe you can rehab them and get something something out of it. So I like I like it for the Pistons, uh, Kings, whatever. Dante DiVincenzo, we'll see if that becomes anything. I don't know. I'm not too excited about this one. <laughs> yeah, I like it for the box. I think that Ibaka can win you a quarter in a seven game series because he is experienced and theoretically fits in very well with that Bucks roster. So I think where where they were not getting much out of DiVincenzo, they took a flyer on Boogie Cousins earlier in the year. Um fits a need and they're one of the best teams in the league. So I don't think they had to change up a ton at the trade deadline and small move that that works for them and then you know for a team that's given 20 minutes a game to kelly olenic I, I like bringing in marvin bagley just to see what you got i agree all right so we got three trades left uh there are three of the five biggest trades from the deadline uh, i want to start with my least favorite trade of the entire deadline i had marked both teams as losers and it's the dallas mavericks shipping out Kristaps porzingis in a second round pick to the washington wizards in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Um, uh, if, if one team had to win the deal, I do think it's 
purely because the deal happened, that makes me think that the Mavericks won the trade because I, it, it makes me feel a couple things about Porzingis. It makes me feel that, one, they completely lost faith in him uh, being able to be healthy, and, and two, that there might be something more degenerative there with his knee injuries that they were concerned about long-term overall. I do think that breaking down that abhorrently large contract into two still large abhorrent contracts with uh, Bertans, who's probably one of the six or seven worst contracts in the league, and, and Dinwiddie, who's been terrible with the Washington Wizards, I, I do think that those contracts will be easier to move if they want to make a trade. It, it's just I don't, I don't see the vision for either side. It doesn't make sense for either side, in my opinion, the flyer for Chris Tapps, to go and play with Beal in a year where Beal won't be playing until next year. And then Beal probably might get even traded in the, in the off season. So is Chris stops your, your headlining guy for your tank season. Um, I Dinwiddie in theory is a similar style player to uh, other guy like Goran Dragic, who we, we've talked about them targeting before and in versions of the Mavs in the past have loved playing and employing three guard lineups with lots of versatility offensively. So I can see how Dinwiddie makes sense. And maybe if anyone can rehab a, a, a four, like a, a power forwards value as a shooter, uh, it, it's probably Luka Doncic. So maybe there's something there. I just, I just hated it for both sides. I feel like it, it really meant uh, it was kind of like a nail in the coffin for the rest of Chris Tapp's career for me, which is sad. And then it's kind of just like they're prolonging the flexibility of the Mavericks to be able to surround Luka Doncic with anything that can help him. And, and it was compounded with them signing and extending Dorian Finney-Smith. They're probably going to overpay Jalen Brunson now because they weren't able to move him at the deadline. So it just makes me really nervous about the, the direction of both of these franchises. Uh, Biddy's is there a winner in this trade or is just everyone losers? I think everyone's losers. Um, I think it's a case of just being sick of the problems that you have. So you, trade them for new problems. I think with Przingis, you touch on all. They don't trust his health. Um, uh, there's a history of him and Luca not necessarily getting along very well. That's not the best thing to have as your two highest paid players. So I think they were just sick of having Przingis around. Maybe Dinwiddie with a smaller contract, you can rehab his value enough that he is more tradable in the future, um, even if you're just giving yourself flexibility and not necessarily bringing back value. So yeah, I think you nailed it with, if there is a winner, then it's Dallas just because they can do something new and it really feels like what they've had has gone pretty stale, even with bringing in a new head coach, even with Luca continuing to make strides, just notching a, a new career high. Um, but yeah, I mean, either either one of these fan bases is just like there's no reason to go out and celebrate today. Yeah, I don't get it. Like that, this was definitely the most shocking trade of the day when it came through my timeline. For I, sure, I didn't understand definitely. this at all. Uh, I mean, I just don't know where the Mavericks are going to go from here because they have they have Luca, who's one of the best players in the league. He's fun, exciting, but like now I have zero faith in the Mavs like going forward for this year probably next year, depending on what they do the year after. I just don't know what they're doing. Their bigs right now are Boban, Dwight Powell, and Maxi Kleba. And, like, I don't know if you could win with that around Luka, to like, a championship or anything like that. I mean, they're the fifth seed right now, which is, I think they're overachieving considering their roster. But 
I just don't see a path to being the team in the West. Like I just don't see a path to them at all at this point. Do you think they could do a, a two-way sign-in trade? Sign-in trade on both sides, Brunson and some picks for Beal in the offseason? I'm just trying to think of like how they could possibly surround Luca with just a slightly better like Brunson's good, but what is he the, the 78th best player in the league? I mean, I don't you know what I mean? I don't need Do you do you think they need to add to, to the uh the front court though because you're you're signing and trading to get they another They everywhere. Everywhere that yeah. isn't Luca needs to be a better player. So I I like I actually been I've been impressed with Jason Kidd. I was down on him as an acquisition as a coach for this team. He's been able to motivate some solid defensive stretches for this team so far this season and I think that the it's just that there's no one that's locked in that I'm like this guy is going to be a player that I'm going to say he's going to be one of the first three names after Luca when the Dallas Mavericks win a championship with Luka Doncic as the main guy. I'm saying XYZ won it with Luka. I don't think XY or Z is on the team right now. So it, like maybe Brunson, but he would be Z. So I just don't I, – I don't like it. I, I think we move on. Um, my favorite trade of the deadline was our Boston Celtics – completing a trade with the Spurs who are surprisingly active. Um, Spurs usually never make trades at the deadline. They made a handful. Um, this deal saw the Spurs landing Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford by Romeo. Love you. Uh, a 2022 first round pick this year. It's top four protected. That'll be somewhere 18 to 23. And the uneasy part of the deal is, is a 2028 first round pick swap. Uh, it was top one protected, but I, I have faith that because of making moves like this and because of the youth of their best players, that this team is still going to be relevant and in the playoff race in 2028. Worst case, you do a swap and you move down a few spots in the draft. That's perfectly fine with me. Of course, the Celtics get back um, Derek White, uh, awesome two-way combo guard from the San Antonio Spurs. This, if it wasn't the Kristaps deal, this was the most shocking trade of the deadline for me. I didn't realize that Derek White was going to be available. I've talked in the past how I think that Derek White could be a perfect fit for the Boston Celtics team. I thought that Brad Stevens' vision should be to surround the core four of the Jays, Robert Williams, and Marcus Smart with good supporting players that can maximize the skill sets of those four, five, four guys and I thought if they needed to trade someone like Marcus Smart or Al Horford, that I would be queasy, but I would welcome that move as long as someone was landed that could help them in the right direction. And what we saw here was an awesome consolidation of assets of a young flyer that I, I think that Romeo could be fine in a different scenario. It was just that he wasn't getting the burn or the opportunity or the leeway to make mistakes on this roster. And I'm not that worried about first round draft capital in this year where I don't think it's a strong draft. I don't care about giving up the 20th pick and we're getting a player who is probably the best fifth best player in the league now uh, on our team. He's going to be our fifth best guy. I don't think another team has another player that's as good as him as the fifth most important player. And he adds to an already terrific defense, making it now a terrifying defense. I, I would be in shambles if I was any perimeter player going against the Boston Celtics the rest of the season and the postseason, his most important skill and the reason why I'm most excited about this acquisition is his ability as a connecting player. I talked a lot about how I need someone that's going to be brought into this roster that is going to enhance the ball movement. He's going to help the flow and he's really going to like players like Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson. Formerly, these were guys who their offensive agenda really kind of like clogged 
and really, really made the offense congested when, when they were instituting their offensive approach. They were record scratch players. And Derek White couldn't be more of the opposite of that if, if it was possible. He's an awesome passer. He's, he's a really good decision maker. He's one of the higher IQ guards in the league. And, and I think that the closing lineup, and we saw it in spurts, I understand it's against the Nuggets team, who's kind of like a middle of the pack, but they have an MVP. Um, and Derek, Derek White was awesome. He, he closed the game, played the last 17 minutes. The first stretch with him in the first half was pure bliss. Um, it, it was like he was a member of this team for the long term. And thinking about Derek White's familiarity with Udoka, and he played on the USA team with um, both Jalen and Jason uh, Tatum clearly loves Derek White. Uh, it just seemed like a no-brainer. The guys over at the Athletic NBA show, uh, Alex Spears and Andrew Schlecht, really awesome podcast, Slam, Slam and Jam, one of the, my favorite podcasts that's I, I listen to. They, they did like trade awards, and, and they had like a best fit award. Neither one of them picked Derek White. One of them picked Dante DiVincenzo, which was ridiculous, but I forget what the other one picked. Derek White is the clear best fit of any team getting a new player uh, at the deadline. I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm ready to say reckless things about the Celtics postseason. Obviously the Celtics are rolling. Have they won seven straight or eight straight? I, I forget, but what did you see biddies in, in the first game that Derek White played and, and how do you think this move uh, helps the team moving forward? And are you nervous about giving up a pick in 2028? Um, yeah, I mean, you asked about the first game, he comes on the floor, we go on a 13-0 run. I know that that coincided with Jokic going to the bench, but still, <laughs> still got to give some credit to him being on the floor for that. And then um, that closing five took the floor about eight and a half minutes left, uh, down three. They won the final eight and a half minutes. I think it was 24 to 16. Um, and that's just not what the Celtics have been doing. If the Celtics were doing that all year, then they might be the one or two seed because they've been losing so many close games. So, so far, so good. Um, in terms of Derek White, you know, one of the, one of the what ifs that I've brought up over the past couple of years is what if, the Celtics just never got into the Kemba Walker business and instead re-signed Terry Rozier. Um, <gasps> Rozier and White are are definitely different play styles, but in terms of position, uh, in terms of their age, caliber of player, they're pretty similar. And so to trade Josh Richardson for him, I think Josh Richardson is not the caliber of player Derek White is. Also, Josh Richardson is a wing. And when your two best players, your two highest paid players are wings, you should only be so heavily invested at that position. So to bring in a guard like White, I, I do think it kind of brings us to the closest version of that what if we just kept Terry Rozier instead of that awful, awful Kemba Walker contract that Danny Ainge gave out. Um, so I, I feel like a lot of what Brad Stevens has done in his first year as general manager is kind of put some light out on Danny Ainge's mistakes that uh, that didn't work out. I talked about risk-reward when it comes, uh, when, when we were talking to Kings and with the Celtics, like, for both of for both of the trades that we made, or I guess all three, if you include the magic, I don't think we're going to be waking up five years from now saying, oh, "I can't believe that we that we made that huge mistake." The pick swap is 
it is what it is. If the pick swap really bites us, then so many things have gone bad in right. the Celtics exactly. organization that it's just like it, that's our that's our life. So, um, all in all, I'm I'm high on the trade. I think Josh Richardson was really, um, I think his game was his talents were emphasized just by playing with the Jays. And I think we sold high on him. This was his best season that he's had in a long time. And I think, you know, as you put it, Derek White is is an awesome fit where he does so many things similar to smart. The one thing I wish is that he was a better shooter and, and for the Celtics to make a big, big swing on a guy who's not a, a great shooter. Um, I know that he's kind of had ups and downs even throughout the, just this season where he has been, good um but yeah for us to like not be a good shooting team and take a big swing on a guy who at best is an average shooter um that's that's the one like note i would have for brad stevens but i'm happy about this i to speak on the shooting and then i'll drop it to steve um brad in his interview after the deadline when he was talking about the goals of the team and he was talking about the the need for shooting to acquire um, he spoke first on, it was funny, and I texted in one of our group chats that he knows that Pritchard is a good shooter and he believes that Naismith <laughs> is a good shooter. So th- that was funny framing, but opening up the opportunity for the theoretical guys who should fill those roles, those needs that you have, there's players on the roster that could already do those things if given the opportunity. And I think that there's something to dumping off how many players did we trade one two three four five yeah we did not we did not take a moment six, to seven. We, we we traded seven players and we got back two players you know what i mean so can we, can we celebrate the departure of ennis freedom oh i want to i had a party in the streets for ennis Cantor not being on my roster anymore um, i feel like i'm experiencing freedom <laughs> <laughs> but i i just think that getting rid of the players that were blocking the shooters that we had on the roster already, allowing them to step into more opportunity, that, that's going to do worlds of benefit for Peyton Pritchard. Hopefully it's able to unlock something in Naismith, where at this time last year, this is kind of where he stepped into the light and was beginning to be a, a, a good contributing player. And with those other roster spots, we've already seen them acquire, uh, not acquire, but bring up Sam Hauser, who, who's a knockdown shooter and has had some lights out games for the, the G League affiliate. Uh, Luke Cornett, who they can't seem to get off of, but he, he can shoot. And and to speak on Derek White specifically, um, Brad Stevens' comments were, if you look at what we did as a team with our acquisitions of other swings that we acquired in recent years, whether it be Evan Fournier or whether it be the aforementioned and dearly departed Josh Richardson, these guys came in. Uh, having struggling and down shooting years in the year leading up to their their Celtics tenure. And what we saw with the just accompanying players that draw so much gravity and have so much ability to create open space around the perimeter that are Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, both Josh Richardson and Evan Fournier had um, not career high. I, I think that Fournier had a stretch and that like, what was it, the 20 games that we got him after that? He had a stretch where he was shooting some of the best percentages that he shot in a long time josh richardson was shooting better than he had shot in any year besides the miami year and i think it's clear that if you've watched the spurs play recently white's offensive um his shot diet right now 
is, is going to be a little bit different than what his shot diet is in Boston. It's going to be very different in terms of the percentage of your shots that are going to be deemed open, but it, it's going to be less strenuous. And, and we saw it in the first game. His, his release is so fast and his, and his form is pure. He's had years in the past where he shoots 36, 37%. I, I think he can shoot. I, I think he's going to be at worst an average shooter. Um, I'm not going to pay attention to the 31% from the three this year. There's certain checkpoints that you can look uh, from catching the shoot, shooting from the corner where he's uh, ranking out very, very well this year. So I think that when I'm projecting forward, I think the team is better situated shooting wise than it was before the deadline. Yes, I agree. I wish we acquired someone who was like actually a shooter shooter, but I think in terms of the overarching theme of the team and, and how you think of the team and as what shooters they have, I think we're sitting prettier than we were four days ago. So I, I love it all around. Steve, what do you think? Are, are you as high in the sky as we are? Or are you going to tamper us down a little bit here? No, I'll, I'll let I'll, you guys did enough to cover this, this trade. I feel like I let you guys geek out Celtic Sam boy over there. So <laughs> it's, I think it's a good trade for both teams. I'll, I'll, I'll just be real, real simple with it. Um, you know, I know you were worried about the first round picks going to the Spurs, but Derek Ro- Derek White still under- has a three year deal after this, so you have three more years of his service. So it's not like you're you're playing for this year. So I think both sides should be happy. It's a, it's a good trade for everyone. Yeah, close it out. I mean, he's got we're, we've clearly acquired him to be a piece long term with this core. Like we just acquired an, another core piece. Derek White is going to be with this team for the continued run and the the stretch run competing for a championship in the next four or five years, Derek White's going to be on the roster. And I think that those type of acquisitions are the things that you do so that you become less nervous about losing Tatum or Jalen when you're a team in 2028. So it's, 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 it's compounding, like giving up the 28th pick is like, Oh no, what, what if the worst case scenario happens? But it's almost like what you're getting back in return makes the worst case scenario less likely. All right, so let's let's we obviously buried the lead here. Let's let's jump into the biggest trade of the deadline. Let's close it out talking about the Sixers and Nets. Uh, the dance of destiny finally got completed. The Sixers acquired James Harden and Paul Millsap. The Brooklyn Nets acquired Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, a first round pick this year, and uh, I believe it's is it unprotected the 2027 first round pick. I forget. I couldn't find the protections on it, but th- that's the scope of the deal. Um, obviously we talked about it last week, how we thought it was going to happen. We judged back and forth what it was going to be. My just uh, macro perspective is the ability for the Sixers to keep both Maxi and Tybal is a win for them, but the ability for the Nets to get Ben Simmons at all for James Harden before James Harden would have likely left for nothing in, in the off season is also a win. So I think both teams won. Uh, what, what are your instinctual reactions to you? All right. Well, I didn't think the trade was going to happen. Before last week, and then as it built as it built up to the deadline, you started hearing more and more, and you started realizing, oh shit, this is gonna happen. I think in a vacuum, right? If you're not, you know, considering what the players' intentions will be long term, I think the Nets don't make that trade. But from this, from what you've seen with this trade, it's very clear what happened. James Harden made it very clear to the Nets, I am leaving after the season. I am declining my player option. I am out. He made it very clear that one way or the other, I will be a 76er next year. And that that's evident by as soon as he signed with the 76ers, or excuse me, as soon as he got traded to the 76ers, he signed that player, player extension that one year. He opted into next year. 
So the Nets obviously had to make the move. Their hands were forced. Considering that their hand was forced, it's not a terrible trade for them. I mean, you can make an argument that James Harden is injury prone. He's getting up there in age. You're trading that sort of player, that sort of asset for someone like Ben Simmons, who while he has his problems in his game where he has to improve as a shooter, you have him under contract for, I don't know, what, three more years after this? I don't know what the numbers are. And he's a much younger player that's not going to break down for you. My biggest concern, though, is while the Nets are in a better situation long-term because now they have someone under contract that's not going to leave them, what the hell are they going to do right now? Because for the next four weeks, possibly, it's going to be no KD. Kyrie, I just, you know, I have a I have Kyrie in fantasy, and I was taunted the other day that he's playing one game till. I don't know, like the the end of the month. So you're going to have Ben Simmons, who, I mean, he supposedly has a mental issue where he's taking time off for that. But is he just going to come right back and play? And if he's just if he comes back, it's just going to be Ben Simmons, and you're on an eight game losing streak. So in the in the short term, the Nets are in shit shit trouble. Like they are screwed. But long term, it's probably better for them because they're holding onto an asset and they have a younger guy. So. It's, it's really hard to judge. There's a lot of nuances to this trade. I'll let Biddy's get into his his opinions on his, the nuances, but I just, overall... It's, it's an 11-game losing streak, by the way, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad situation for the Nets right now. They got to turn it around. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a tough one to judge. You know, you talked about, it, you know, in a vacuum. And I do think we have to disregard the sunk cost of everything that Brooklyn gave up to get James Harden. Um, because the reality of the situation is that this deal was to avoid James Harden walking for nothing. So it is a win in the sense that they knew that this player was going to leave them. And not only did they get Ben Simmons, but they also got Seth Curry who will play for them right now. And they also got draft picks because I, th- I think there's a world where, you know, Daryl Morey could have played it a little bit more aggressively. I mean, like, no, you're, you're taking Ben Simmons because I know James Harden's going to leave you because I tampered. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll just trade Tobias Harris's contract somewhere else. So, you know, I think, I think it's a win in terms of they got a return for a guy they knew was going to leave. I think it's a clear win for Philly where, I think Harden is going to be more motivated, probably get in better shape and, um, and really give him a chance to win the title. They got two top 15 players. That's a really good, really good recipe to winning a title. They also are both excellent at getting a basket in tough situations. Um, I think we all know the playoff failures of especially James Harden, as well as Joel Embiid, as well as head coach Doc Rivers. So overall, um, it's not, it's not a, a, a foregone conclusion that, that they're even going to win a playoff round. Um, but they definitely have a shot at winning the title. So I like it for the Sixers where they were getting a zero from, from um, Harden for the Nets. I mean, like I said, I, I like it in the, in the, the scope of yes, like we were going to lose James Harden. What I don't like is that they entered this season as the favorites to win the title. And now they are going to be going into playoff series against Miami, against Milwaukee, against Philadelphia, where they need 
they're going to be on the road, which is actually an advantage for them because that means Kyrie can play. <laughs> but stupid. so they're going to have four. They're going to have four road games where they basically need to win three of the four on the road because then when they come back home, they'll have to go one and two where Ben Simmons is the second best player on the team. And we wouldn't be having this conversation if Ben Simmons had any confidence in himself during the playoffs. All right. He passed out of the dunk because he he was afraid of looking bad at the, at the free throw line. And so to go three on one on the road, yes, they were facing that when they had James Harden, but I feel like Harden, Irving and Durant 13 and three in their 16 games together. I think they have a real chance at picking up three games on the road and then picking up one more when it's just Harden in Durant in Brooklyn. But man, if they're in Philly, the fans who made Ben Simmons temporarily quit basketball, I don't think they're winning three. And I don't think that they can win um, three and all at home. Same as in Milwaukee, where it's just like Milwaukee's really good. Miami's really good. And for for Simmons to be the second best player for half of the series is just not, it's not a winning recipe. And for this uh, title favorite, which is funny because their their co-favorite is also in in rough waters. Um, with title favorites really be looking like the wrong first round playoff matchup they're gonna lose um, is uh, is pretty crazy. I think that to me, the the Nets, if I had to pick a winner between the two teams, I feel like you understand that the Nets were kind of like had their hands tied behind their back in so many different ways. But I, I do think that looking at these teams, I'm so much more interested in the Brooklyn Nets than I am in the Philadelphia 76ers. I feel like the Sixers are uh, cut and dry. You know what you have. It's pretty obvious. Morty wanted Harden from day one. And that's a, that's a tinfoil hat thing that I want to get to in a second. But the, the Brooklyn Nets, um, Ben Simmons, when we're thinking about in 2016 and 17, maximizing Ben Simmons as a player, whether or not he can fit with Joel Embiid, that bounce around discussion continued for their entire tenure together. Um, What Ben Simmons did want and how he was maximized is similar, like a supersized version of what you saw in that 20 game stretch at the end of, what was it? The 2018 season, 2018, 19 season where, uh, Embiid was out, and it was um, – who were the two buyout guys? Ursan Ilyasova, J.J. Redick, and it was one of the guys that's like an irrelevant white shooter was on this team, and and the Sixers were incredible. And it was Ben Simmons at the helm. They were playing fast, and they were playing off of Ben Simmons. He was creating the most three-point open looks in the NBA, and he was getting to the rim. He was uh, going to the free-throw line and not, not not completing free throws as, as well as you would hope, but he was at least going – So I think that Ben Simmons is the most interesting component of this storyline, of this trade, of the NBA, because he has an opportunity here to come back motivated, uh, committed to prove everyone in the world wrong, and to be – he can be his own player. I have several predictions for Ben Simmons, and I'm thinking about the team that can most maximize Ben Simmons. Imagine instead of Furkan Korkmaz and Seth Curry – or Seth Curry's duplicative, and uh, Dario Saric. Imagine now if it's Kevin Durant and Joe Harris and now Seth Curry 
and other players here that he has the elements around him to be the best Ben Simmons that he can possibly be. And I would be so confident in this Nets team if it wasn't for freaking Kyrie Irving and the uncertainty of what his reality and what he thinks reality is. But we wouldn't but because be this, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. If it we wouldn't. We wouldn't. The whole reason that James Harden wanted out is because Kyrie's a nutcase. So I understand, like, it's it needs to happen for the other thing to happen. But I think that Can, Ben Simmons is in the best case scenario for Ben Simmons outside of absolutely the pressure not. of competing for a championship. Absolutely but not. In terms of surrounding pieces, surrounding pieces, surrounding Ben Simmons with the best players around him so that he can be the best player he can be, this Brooklyn Nets roster is okay. that. Maybe they would have uh, just a better version of Here's, Nick Claxton as a lob threat. But in terms of shooter and surrounding talent, players that can play off of him and players that he can play off of, I love the Nets fit. I've talked about how I thought it was a better fit before, but why don't you see that? Here's the problem. Like well, you're you're trouting Ben Simmons out like he's gonna redeem himself, he's on the redemption tour, he's gonna work hard. When have you ever there's said an opportunity? He has an when opportunity. When have you ever to. put Ben Simmons he has an opportunity to and work hard and get better together? Like those phrases don't coexist. Like he's almost the same player he was when he came out of college. Like he hasn't improved that much. And then you're putting him in a situation where who runs this team? Is it is it a tough coach? Is it good management? No. It's KD and Kyrie. Those are your bosses, pretty much. Like, do you really think the environment in the Nets is conducive to improving and become and building players and building teams? No, it's like a, the star, it's run by the stars. There's, I question the work ethic there. And you really think Ben Simmons is going to become this miraculously better player now he's in this environment? No. All of his bad habits are going to be reinforced. He's going to be the same Ben Simmons and probably do the same dumb shit and not get better that he's, he's always been. I bet you, I bet you a dollar that he shoots a three in the first game he plays. I would take that. Shoot a three, attempt a three, or make a three. Attempt a three. Attempt a three. I bet you attempts a three. Okay. And by the way, really, really random segue, but how do you think um, like Seth Curry is going to feel when all of a sudden Ben Simmons' um, mental issues are cleared immediately and he's back feeling great okay. now? I don't under, I don't understand this. Isn't this obvious? The the motivation behind his mental struggles are Philadelphia. He's out of Philadelphia. He doesn't have the mental struggles anymore. I, I feel like it's pretty simple. I don't understand. Oh, oh, all of a sudden his mental. No, I just think it's. I think it's. Gone. Yes, they're gone. He's not in Philadelphia. Anymore. I just think what it's a mean? bad look for is. mental illness everywhere to like yeah. use that as an excuse. It's like a, it just I, it just puts it's a not bad an excuse. He's clearly hamstrung by his traumatizing experience, albeit like finicky. And I don't and I don't want to sympathize with Ben Simmons because he's a soft guy who failed in the most crucial point where he should have succeeded and he was unable to overcome things that he should have been able to overcome. But he's out of the situation that was traumatizing for him. He's now in a situation that's better for him. Why is well, – I don't understand. His because, men, those mental issues can be gone. He can put them behind them. Because it's too sport-dependent. If Carl Anthony Towns came out and said, I can't play basketball because I've lost my mom and other members of my family and just like my head is not in the game, I think that would be really understandable. Kevin Love having a, an, an anxiety attack kind of like during a random game, that's understandable. Ben Simmons didn't dunk a basketball and then is claiming that he has mental health problems. That's just a, 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 a he doesn't like accountability. He doesn't like looking stupid and he doesn't like that. He wasn't supported by, and like he, he can not like that, but I don't think that's mental health. I think that's lack of mental toughness to succeed at a high level, to win a championship. And I, mean, I agree with you. I agree with you. I do think that it's, it was a uh, false claim to use that as the headlining description of why you weren't out. I think it was probably an attempt so that he wouldn't lose all the money that he lost. But I'm not talking about whether or not he has mental health problems. I don't care. I, I, I'm saying 
the description of why he had mental health problems isn't relevant anymore, because if he did have mental health problems, those factors aren't a part of his life anymore. He's moved on. He's in a different situation. Now, I understand. I understand the argument that he, he's using it as a crutch and that's unfair to people who actually struggle with this. And he's being like a, a dipshit in terms of that. But I'm saying with that use of mental health as the crutch, that crutch is no longer there. He doesn't he's going to be fine. He should play immediately unless they go to Philly. Be, oh, my God, he's playing. He's over his mental health. Issues. Yes, obviously, he's mental over them. What do you mean? I Yeah, I mean, he just I think he deserves criticism for like weaponizing oh, for sure. the fact for that. Sure we've gotten better about talking about mental health publicly and in sports. Like he weaponized that. Um, my last take on the net, the Nets is a question for you guys. Um, before the playoffs, how many games are these guys going to play together? Oh, a handful. Five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Not many. I mean, not I many. mean I, do we think, do we think either uh, some type of vegan vaccine is going to come out that Kyrie takes, or do we think that, New York in some capacity is going to change their restrictions. Do we think that's going to happen I would, before the playoffs? I, I would. Can't, I can't comment on the vegan vaccine, yeah. but I do not. I do not think there are any signals that the vaccine mandate is going to change. Yeah, and if it does happen, it wouldn't be till probably like the summer when like cases, like you know, like the cold flu season's over and cases start to, to drop. So like you might see it lifted by like f- near the finals. Like so, right. I don't know. So in, in that case, I'm I'm out as them winning a championship this year, I think they're a legitimately awesome competitor contender starting next season. That that's my thought on the nets. I have, I have a, a tinfoil hat. Go ahead before Just I get one question it. about Go next ahead. season is like Kyrie has a weird contract, right? Isn't he has a player option or a team option coming up to a player option next year? Yeah. He has the ability to extend. I don't know what is he's there doing. Any chance Who knows he about Kyrie? I, I mean, they I would be better retire. if he wasn't on their team. Yeah. He might retire. Yeah. Okay. How do we think about this? What do we think about a Sean Marks long con? Here, where in 2019, KD and Kyrie signed with the Brooklyn Nets. At the time, supporting cast is Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, and Karis Levert. We're thinking about, if you look at the quotes that Sean Marks made after the acquisition, that he was talking about how difficult it was going to be to surround those two players with the right talent to be able to make them be the most potent combo that they could be, and that he has a lot of targets and potential people in mind. Fast forward to 2020-2021 NBA season, where James Harden is throwing his hissy fit and he's throwing the ball out of bounds and being a jerk and he's wearing his fat suit and he wants out of Houston. His list of destinations are the Miami Heat, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Milwaukee Bucks. In trade discussions, Sean Marks realizes that, oh my God, does Daryl Morey want Ben Simmons, I mean, out of there, and he wants James Harden in there really, really bad. Mark Sean Marks is thinking about what pieces fit best with Kyrie Irving. This is before co- co- coronavirus is happening. He's thinking about what pieces fit best with a healthy Kyrie Irving and a healthy Kevin Durant. He's thinking, wow, Ben Simmons is, is a player that would fit really, really well with these guys. I can't get that some Ben Simmons right now. Ben Simmons value isn't as low as it is now because he just tanked it. It was still high back then. And he's thinking Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen, that doesn't get me. Remember, this is pre-all-star contender Jared Allen. This is just role player that's good Jared Allen. He didn't have the pieces to acquire uh, whatchamacallit. So he he pried on the advantages that Tillman Fertitta didn't want to a thousand percent commit to a deal with the Philadelphia 76ers. And he landed James Harden in a swing move that he thought, hey, worst case scenario, this guy's here. He's awesome. He's a top 10 player in the league. I can do this. Why not? But in my back pocket, if it doesn't work, 
I can move him and I can get Ben Simmons at any point. What do we think about this being a long con where Sean Marks was not having Ben Simmons being his end goal at the whole time, but him thinking about Ben Simmons being a target using the leverage that was put out in the 2020-2021 year in the trade discussions between Houston and Brooklyn and Houston and Philadelphia, knowing that he would be able to acquire Ben Simmons at any point with James Harden if things went wrong. Do we think that there's any validity there at all? No. His boss boss, boss was working out with James Harden during the Harden holdout in Houston, and Sean Marks' boss – said Coming you're gonna trade for James Harden, you're gonna trade every first round pick, every pick swap. Not DeAndre Jordan, but Jared Allen. You're gonna trade Jared Allen. <laughs> because I want to play with them. Yeah. And that's what happened is that Kevin Durant wanted to play with James Harden. I think Kevin Durant then understood what was going on uh this past month and it was just uh the, really the best possible landing spot. Like it's really too bad that the Celtics did not have something, some cushy landing like uh, when Kyrie lost his yeah, no will to play in Boston. I don't believe this one bit, Shay, but I know someone who does. <laughs> Kyrie Irving, he's with you, man. No, he, would believe he's, yes, he believes he's, you. He's in on the conspiracies. Yes, he's in on the conspiracies. Okay, lots to get excited about this NBA season. I'm. I think that the Celtics are the f- fifth, fourth, fourth or fifth best team in the Eastern Conference. Um, a lot to be watching. Um, the first games for new acquisitions is always some of the funnest basketball to watch throughout the entire season. We saw Tyrese Halliburton look awesome. Um, I think he had like 16 points in the first quarter in their first game. Obviously, we talked about Sabonis looking awesome. So it should be really, really fun whenever Ben Simmons takes the court. I think that Harden, he's the Sixers play today, but he's not playing. So I think Monday or Tuesday is going to be his first game. So I'm sure there will be lots of stuff to talk about next week. But for now, let's close out. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Listeners, please rate, review, love us, do all those things. Tell your friends. Biddies, Steve, good talking. Toodaloo. Incredible Rubik's Cube.